Our second scripture lesson this morning comes from Genesis 1. And your bulletin says that I will be reading just verses 1 through 5, but I think that we will read nearly the whole chapter. Are you prepared? I will be doing some editing for link, but not content, and I do invite you to follow along and listen to see if there's anything in this narrative of creation that maybe you have not noticed before. Let us listen for God's word. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep while a wind from God swept over the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness God called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be a dome in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. So God made the dome and separated the waters that were under the dome and the waters that were above the dome. And God called the dome sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the sky be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together, God called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seeds, and fruit trees of every kind on earth that bear fruit with seed in it. And it was so. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from night. And let them be for signs for the seasons, for the days and the years. And let them be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth. And it was so God made the two great lights, the greater to rule the day and the lesser to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth. To rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. 
And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures. And let birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky. And so God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves of every kind with which the waters swarm and every winged bird of every kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and let the birds multiply on earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things and wild animals of every kind. And it was so. And God made the animals of the earth of every kind, the cattle of every kind, and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the cattle and every wild animal and every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in God's image. In the image of God, God created them. Male and female, God created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed, and it is on the face of the earth. And every tree and the seed and its fruit, and you shall have them for food. I have given every green plant for food. And God saw that God had made, and indeed it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that God had done, and God rested on the seventh day from all the work that God had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it God rested from all the work that God had done in creation. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Holy God, 
three in one. Mystery beyond our knowing. We come to you this day, opening our hearts and our minds to the movement of your spirit. Bless us with an experience of your presence, with an experience of knowledge and that which is beyond. our capacity to understand and in whose presence we can only be in awe. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. As there are younger people in the sanctuary this morning, I will remind you that there are coloring packets in the back if you would like to color pictures of creation or make your own diagram of the six days and the seventh day of rest. And I wonder if there is anyone out there who has ever watched the show Mythbusters? Really? That's it? A few of you. Yes, there we go. Ah, oh, and some back there. Awesome. All right. Well, remember the first Star Wars movie, the real Star Wars movie, with Luke and Leia where we didn't know that Darth Vader was Luke's father, but just there. And think about that scene where Luke and Leia are trying to escape the stormtroopers on the Death Star. And they're running and they're running and they get to that place and they, are, they step out on this little ledge before the chasm of the great reactor core and the stormtroopers are right on their tail so they take their blaster and they blast the control panel so that the stormtroopers can't get through the door. And then they realize that they have done what? Blasted the controls to make the bridge expand across the gap, right? And so what does Luke do? The grappling hook, right. Did you see this episode? Yeah, so, so Luke takes the grappling hook on the cable and he throws it and he swings it and it hooks on a pole on the other side and he grabs Leah by his side and she kisses him for luck and they swing across and are saved. They are safe. Well, the Mythbusters took it upon themselves to see whether or not it was possible in real life that Luke could have swung across the chasm with nothing but the grappling hook and the cable and his utility belt taking Princess Leia by his side. Now the Mythbusters asked such questions 
as can one lift a car using only duct tape? Or does a duck's quack echo? Or could this really happen in Star Wars? And they seek to apply the laws of physics to either bust the myth, say that it's plausible, or that it is indeed confirmed. It turns out that it is at least plausible, however remotely possible, that wearing a safety harness, not just a utility belt, it may have been possible with great luck and determination that Luke really was able to use the grappling hook and a cable to swing with Princess Leia over the great chasm and be saved. Woohoo! Now, religion has its own set of mythbusters. And just taking our scripture from Genesis 1, there are the busters who say there is no way that the earth and the sky and all of the stars could have been created in six days, that it is simply scientifically impossible and it goes against all of the scientific theories of evolution and carbon dating and all that we know, and therefore Genesis 1 is a myth, it is busted, it is just not true. And then there are the confirmers who look at the six days of creation and tell us that this is God's literal word and therefore science cannot be true. That evolution is just wrong and that dinosaurs and humans lived at the same time. And then there are those, some of us, who try to make it plausible that Indeed, science and religion can prove that it may have been possible if we just think that one of God's days was perhaps billions of years. One of the greatest myths of our time is that we can explain or should explain everything. But for now, let us settle on Genesis 1 and the question of whether or not the creation story is true. And I'm going to start by busting some of the myths of the myth busters. One of the myths that many of our myth busters rely on is that the Bible was written by God, literally. That God dictated 
the words that are printed in the book, and that because they come directly from the divine, every word must be taken literally and considered to be the profound truth without error. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. I would like for you now to take out your Bibles and just hold them in your hand. You are holding, as you know, a small library. It was written over the span of 1,100 years. Many of the books, in fact most, have more than one author, some of them very many authors and editors, and some of the books were edited over and over again over a period of at least 500 years. People wrote the Bible at different times, in different places, for different purposes. Words of Scripture are only the Word of God as inspired by the Holy Spirit, as both as they are written and as they are read. Now we know that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of love and grace and mercy, is the spirit of life. Therefore, Scripture is only the word of God when we are reading it with the spirit of love and of life. And there is no word of God when we read or hear or proclaim the word of God in a spirit of hate. Ever. It is the Reformed faith that teaches us to dig into Scripture and ask questions that go beyond the surface of the text. There are some texts in the Bible that are so terrible that if it were up to God, they would never have been put in the Bible at all and certainly should never be read in the context of worship. Now, open your Bible to Genesis. But not Genesis 1. Go to Genesis chapter 12. And you will see that Genesis chapter 12 is the call of Abraham, or Abram. Here is the start of some of the oldest stories in our faith. Now, scholars surmise that Abraham lived almost 4,000 years ago. But the stories about Abraham 
were not written down for 900 years. Meaning that these were the kinds of stories that people told each other around the campfire or at prayer gatherings or when the family gathered together for 900 years. Then, about 3,000 years ago, the texts begin to tell a story that starts in Genesis 12. And then we go backwards, and the words of the prehistory to the story, the primeval events of the Bible, which really have nothing or very little, next to nothing, to do with actual history. The story of the Tower of Babel, Noah's Ark, there are three chapters, all of which are almost dedicated entirely to genealogy, and the story of the creation of Adam and Eve. If we turn back to chapter 1, scholars believe, given the tools of science and textual analysis and archaeology and linguistics, that this story of creation is rather new, that it was written about 400 years after the stories of Abraham were written down. It was written at a time when that world was in chaos. And people needed to know that God was over the chaos. It was that time when Jerusalem had been destroyed and all of the people had been exiled out of their land and the temple had been destroyed and everything they knew about the world and about God was gone. And they were living in foreign places that did not know Yahweh or worship God. And there was this sense of how will we survive? Every creation story is a response to the situation of chaos and trying to find stability for the world in which people live. Now people at this point had had 2,500 years of experience with God. They had journeyed with God for 2,500 years. And so this chapter, this Genesis 1, pulls on the experiences as well as all of the creation myths and the images that were in the history there in Mesopotamia and Babylon. And they took this stuff to make sense of what was happening in their troubled and chaotic world. And it is poetry and liturgy and a statement of faith that from the beginning of it all, God intends a safe, 
orderly, stable place for people to live in goodness and in peace. And that people can know the stability and order in honoring the order, in honoring the Sabbath. And in doing so, honoring God and connecting with that experience of the knowledge of who God is and what God intends. The story in Genesis is not about the origins of the universe. It is a theological statement that God gives life, that God gives order, that God is good and intends goodness for all, that God shares the power to create with humanity and intends that people continue to create life in order and goodness. Until recent times, the church has always been clear that the sole purpose and authority of Scripture is for life and salvation. Salvation meaning the wholeness of creation, that shalom, that healing, that peace. If we were to go to the library to look for the Bible, we would not find it in the history section, nor in the physics section, nor in the geography section, nor in the biology section, because it is not about that. In the same manner, Psalm 8 is not a treatise on astronomy. Rather, the psalmist stands under the vastness of that great dome in the sky and ponders why does God care about humanity? One again, one of those central existential questions about why are we here? Why do we matter? Do we even matter? And the answer is yes. God not only cares about us, God asks us for help, for caring for creation. This is an expression of awe and wonder at the mystery and the vastness of God's love. The doctrine of the Trinity, which we celebrate today, began as a feeble attempt to put into words the experience of faith. People had experienced God as over and beyond and as above, as the Father, 
and God in human form as Jesus and as close as our being and our breath as the Holy Spirit. There's no single image that can capture God. All of our words are inadequate. What is better left to the poets and the musicians became fodder to be explained and then debated, and we began talking about God rather than talking to God. God's love is not a mystery to be solved, but a call to answer. When I was back in seminary, a long time before I met my husband Paul, and so wanting to have that experience of love, I was out to dinner with a very enthusiastic psychotherapist who had just taken a class on why we love the people whom we love. And he talked about birth order and one's relationship with one's mother and one's relationship with one's father and how it all worked together to influence who you would marry. And it was very interesting, except I did not want an explanation about love. I wanted love. Genesis 1 was never about how the universe came into being. It is about the kind of universe we live in and the kind of God we worship. For our ancestors in the faith living in that time of chaos, despite all the evidence to the contrary, They proclaimed that the universe was safe and good and the chaos was held at bay so that people could live and that life could continue and flourish and grow. So Genesis 1, the myth that it explains creation, No. It rises up to describe a profound experience of love. It rises up from the heart of God's people, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and the dance of human and divine love, a mystery beyond all mysteries, that God cares for us. Yes. So, I will ask you, is it true? And I pray to God, it is. Amen.